Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. From the Gerd Boyle studio at OPB, this is Think Out Loud. I'm Dave Miller. Many Portland and Seattle sports fans were angry last month after Xfinity announced they'd have to pay more to watch Trailblazers, Mariners, and Kraken games on cable. It was just the latest reminder that regional sports networks and cable providers are under a lot of financial pressure these days. Lauren Anderson is the director of the Warsaw Sports Business Center at the University of Oregon. She joins us now to talk about the rapidly evolving landscape of sports media. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. What was the business of sports broadcasting like at the very beginning, pre-cable? I mean, pre-cable, if you go all the way back to the beginning, um, sports were on tape delay. You know, I mean, who who remembers a time where you actually tuned in and, and watched things on tape delay? I mean, the Olympics were sort of probably the first case that anyone would remember. But, you know, broadcast wasn't simulcast and it wasn't livecast. And it was when we could put it in a primetime hour for the most viewing. Hmm. And then cable arrived and it changed everything. Lauren Anderson, are you there? Oh, oh, there, there you are. Are you, are you back? I am. Oh, yes. great. Okay. Um, so it, it seems like the rise of cable networks were the first really big disruption to that early model. What did cable mean? Well, cable meant there were many more just hours to program, and with all the needs for content, live sports and a variety of sports really became the opportunity for these new channels to fill the airwaves. Hmm. So, you and know, then- think about ESPN started with you know. Australian rules football. Right. But at a certain point, it turned into the model shifted to to regional sports networks. What are they? Sure. Um, RSNs, regional sport networks, are really the networks that dive into a local geographic community to pick up all the sports that are available and relevant to those consumers in that area. So, you know, with the Pac-12, for example, um, it's how do you display not only the big revenue generating sports, but also the full array of sports that are at our Pac-12 colleges, giving more of your Olympic sports the opportunity to be seen and shared across the airwaves. Same thing, you know, in in Portland, for example, with, um, you know, our Well, it looks like there may actually be some kind of connection issue. We're going to see if we can work this out. We have been tra- – oh, <laughs> Lauren Anderson, um, yeah. you're, you've been cutting in and out a little bit, un- unfortunately. Um, but, but if I could just go back. So uh, what is – I mean, it seems like there are a lot of reasons here. But what are the, the reasons that regional sports networks are in some serious financial trouble these days? Well, part of the reason is that is that the model is shifting and the regional sports companies, since they rely on the cable distribution, the viewership numbers are dwindling. So as the numbers dwindle, it's it's a less appealing product for advertisers. And then how do you how do you justify the high costs that you're paying for the broadcast rights versus creating an ROI on those with fewer viewers seeing the seeing those games? So this gets to the the basic calculus that a a cable provider like Infinity went through when it when it came Mm -hmm. to their deal with Root Sports Northwest. 
customers are going to have to pay something like $18 a month more if they want to be able to watch Blazers or Mariners games. So what is Xfinity thinking here? And what are teams like the Blazers or the Mariners thinking? $18 a month, that's serious revenue for the cable company. If the RSN isn't seeing those eyeballs, they don't want to pay the same amount to Comcast for fewer eyeballs. So therein is is the rub, is that it's where where the money is going. And as people are cutting cords and leaving cable and finding alternate ways to watch and consume their sports, that's just where the that's where the revenue is shifting. Hmm. Um, we're going to call you on your phone. Did you have do you have a phone next to you right now? I do. Okay. Um, so we're going to call you. So please answer. The okay. <laughs> Hopefully it won't be somebody else who's calling you at the same time. That way we can work around th- this issue. Uh, but let me just remind folks, um, while we call you, uh, we're talking with Lauren Anderson, who is the director of the Warsaw Sports Business Center at the University of Oregon. Uh, and we are dealing with something that probably is familiar with a lot of people who've tried to work from home or to connect on Zoom or other streamy type things that it, it doesn't always work. Um, Lauren Anderson, can you hear me on your phone right now? Hello, how are you? Doing great. Okay, so 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 back to this. How how much say does a team like the Blazers or the Mariners have in terms of how cable companies package or price? these regional sports networks, the the channels that broadcast their games? The the teams don't, like, they're not in the control of that part of the mix. The the team gets to cut the deal with the region, you know, with their RSN. So, like, the Blazers can cut the deal with Root for their money. But but they can't go back and say, hey, Xfinity, you can't, you know, it's $3 a consumer versus $5 a consumer, like, that's that's not a piece of the equation there, and that's the conversation between cable and broadcaster. Hmm. You know, it, it does remind me, uh, in the big picture, this last spring, the Phoenix Suns and WNBA's Phoenix uh-huh. Mercury, they announced that all of their games this season are going to be available on broadcast TV. The Jazz are doing something similar. So bucking th- this trend of of having fans have to pay for games, now in some cases having to pay more for games. But I can imagine a team, a franchise, thinking about this in in opposing ways. On the one hand, they're foregoing TV deal money, broadcast rights money. On the other hand, they might be gaining fans for life, kids maybe whose parents can't or or, or won't pay for them to watch and, and who might then, say, go to games when they're older. How do you think about sort of this, this double-edged sword? I mean, it's, it's super interesting. And I actually think, you know, from in terms of fandom, it, it is a very interesting conversation that we have a lot. And there's actually the, the trend has, has been to more of this sort of old school, traditional over the air broadcasting, like from the teams you mentioned, you know, if you lose fans long term, all your other revenue streams are going to decline. So it's really an interesting thought about what the economics of sport are going to look like down the road, whether it's two years or five years. But to your point, access accessibility is huge. If fans don't have the ability con- to consume a game, we all know it's very expensive for some families, unattainable to get to a live event. So if you've taken away their ability to watch it at all, 
then there are so many other choices. Fans are going to pick something else, and then you're going to your fan base declines, and then other things are going to fill their time and space. Hmm. With such a limited attention span, like you, I really actually think it's quite genius to go back to find ways to deliver the content free on over-the-air networks to be able to keep part of your fan base. All that's going to happen you, is that the higher broadcast. Uh, do you assume that all the other NBA teams or or other sports teams are paying close attention to uh, what Phoenix and Utah are doing? I absolutely think they are. Hmm. The Washington Post mm. had a, a helpful article about this recently. They had this line. In whatever model emerges, sports entities probably will have to collect more money from sports fans to account for the missing money from the non-sports fans that came from the cable bundle. But that made me wonder just how much more fans are willing or able to pay. Do you have a sense for that? I mean, again, I think it gets back to your your super hardcore fans, or your right. Though, so whether you're a passionate about a team fan or you're passionate about a league fan versus a casual fan who maybe brought be brought further sort of down the funnel of that super fandom. Hmm. Right, like if you if it's not accessible to other people, you're never going to get somebody who you know in the old in the old vernacular channel surfing, right? You're not going to stop and watch something if it's not an option. But yes, it is. I mean, it is a real it is a real thing that there there were numbers on you know you buy your sports bundle and you get twenty five different cable channels. There was money associated with all of them, and as people are not buying those bundles. There is going to have to be some somewhere where somebody makes up the cost. The sense, but I will say that uh, oh, please, so many of them. I was going to say I feel that over the last several years, like the, the sports bundles, like the cable companies, in trying to not lose all the people, have been trying to adjust for that. Because right, you have your super basic, and then your basic that might have some, and then you've got then you step, do another step. So they've been trying to compensate for that especially as the numbers of cable subscribers decline. Hmm. I don't know if this is just uh, says something about the people who I'm acquainted with or if it says something broader. But when, when I've been talking to people recently and asking around about how you're getting games these days, how you're able to, to watch games at home, it seems like the most common response was pirated streams from, I don't know, some mm-hmm. random Eastern European country. People don't even necessarily know where, where it's bouncing around from. Do you have a sense for how widespread this is? And, and if it's actually widespread enough to be seriously cutting into the bottom lines of these companies? I mean, I think, I think it, it's, it's a concern. Right, and it's a trend that needs to be stopped. But I also think a lot of people are doing that because they don't have another way to get access to the game. You know, for example, I was in London a few weeks ago, and there was a Ducks. It was the Ducks Washington game. I really wanted to watch the game. My friend lives over in London, and she's a duck. I was like, "How do you normally watch it?" She's like, "I can't unless I pirate it." So, so then you go, "Huh? Well, then there's this other part of the interesting model of." Some people are trying to get it for free because that's a that's a workaround, but there are other people who legitimately maybe would pay, but technology hasn't set it up so that they can. Hmm. What do you see as the next big thing in sports viewing? You know, the next big thing I think is going to be be a merger of, you know, sort of an augmented reality 
more of a multi a multi viewing, right? Like I think there's gonna be a way to try and make the in arena environment available to people outside of the arena and in different locations. I mean I think when you start looking five, ten years down the road, that's where there's gonna be some advances in technology. These conversations about rights and, and where they're happening are are gonna level set. I mean there's certainly gonna be a big a big direction in how that shifts when the next NBA contracts are are signed here in another year or so. Um, but I think all the broadcasters are looking at how what the next generation is and how consumption of sport is going to be different during the during the that next contract period. Like there's going to be an evolution and it is all going to change. And it's who are, who's creative and acquires what's rights in those bundles. Lauren Anderson, thanks very much. Thank you very much. It was great talking to you. Likewise. Lauren Anderson is the director of the Warsaw Sports Business Center at the University of Oregon. So much of what we talk about on this show has to do with what's happening right now. But there's a lot of history behind these conversations. OPB's Salmon Wars podcast will give you insights into some of that history. It tells the story of one Yakima Nation family that's been fighting for salmon in the Columbia River across generations. Find Salmon Wars wherever you listen to podcasts.